Welcome to episode 347 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always, and this week we're going to celebrate the life of a couple different people who we unfortunately lost this past week. As you can tell in the title there, Trevor Sternad, the vocalist for the Black Dahlia Murder, passed away about a week ago, and then a couple days after that we lost Greg Kozak, who was a legend in the Oklahoma radio and music scene. So I'm going to talk about both those guys here, and then we're going to play an old interview with Trevor. But also want to let you know that this week is uh, the seven-year anniversary of this podcast. Generally in the past, this is the first anniversary since Jason's been gone, but in the past we would always, you know, just kind of go over highlights and memories of the past several years. Last year we had a, we did a live stream, and I believe maybe the year before that as well. I was kind of toying with the idea of doing that this year. I wasn't definite on it. And then, of course, these things happen, and here we are. So this is way more important to talk about than an anniversary of a podcast. So I'm going to push that off for an episode or two, and then maybe just go over some stuff then. I've got some stuff that to give away that I've had, that I've been holding on to for a bit, so I'll do a contest here in the next couple weeks as well. But yeah, in the meantime, let's talk about some some legends from a couple different areas that we lost. First up, I'm going to talk about Greg Kozak, and I'm not going to talk about this in a way of, you know, going over someone's career highlights or anything like that. I'm just going to talk about this purely from a fan standpoint, because... That's what I was. I mean, as long as I can remember, I've, like most people, got into music when I was 10, 10, 11, something like that, which in my case would have been 87, 88. It was when I really, really started getting into to rock music. And around the time, the, you know, there was a couple, you know, rock stations here in Tulsa, and one of them, that, you know, that was playing current stuff was Z104.5. They played mainstream rock. And then in 1994, they changed to The Edge, which was an alternative format, which they still have to this day. But Greg Kozak was the voice on both those, whatever you want to call it, formats of that channel. And for, for me, he was the voice of that channel and pretty much the voice of all of radio, in my opinion. I've... Growing up, you know, and even looking back, there was two or three DJs that I really, really liked. And whenever I was thinking about this this week, you know, and what to say here on this episode, it kind of hit me that I would always say, you know, there's got two or three guys that were my favorite. You know, there's one from Oklahoma City and then a couple here in Tulsa. And Kozak was one of those. But kind of looking back on it, I kind of think he's probably the main one because I think of what he meant as a DJ and what he did, to me, he was the epitome of what a radio DJ should be. And I know that that's an opinion. Everybody can have an opinion on what a radio DJ should be. You know, anybody that runs a station could just hire anybody off the street that has a decent voice and says, hey, read this, read these promos, mention these songs when they come on, say who it is and all that, and anybody could do that, right? But in my opinion, if you're a radio DJ you should know what you're talking about. 
you should know about the music you're talking about. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have a wealth of knowledge about some random band, but at least have a wide, you know, ranging knowledge of music. And, the, you know, and I understand that sometimes, you know, you could be a rock fan and you get your first job, you know, on a hip hop or country station. So maybe you're not, but at least it comes across as natural to me and it comes across as forced and I'm trying to say this without going into a mini rant because one of my biggest pet peeves is DJs that don't know what the hell they're talking about. And you hear that. I've heard that throughout my entire life and still to this day. I don't even listen to Tulsa radio anymore. And I haven't for quite a while. But I listen to satellite radio. And there's a bunch of DJs on there that are extremely knowledgeable about the stations there or the channels they're on. But there's two or three that specifically are not. And it just drives me insane. I'm like, how did you get a job? At this level, when you don't know shit about what you're talking about, and I hear you say facts that are totally wrong, and I'm just a dude driving down the street in my car, and you're filling people's heads with wrong information. But anyway, the point is, Greg Kozak was 100% not that. And you heard it every time he spoke. And, you know, I'm not trying to over-glorify this. This is just the way I felt, because I would listen to this guy, and I wanted to be a radio DJ in the 90s. And I even, you know, kind of talked about it. And I I talked about it with another DJ that was a, a well-known Tulsa, Tulsa DJ at the time. And he said, it's probably not a good idea because you don't make enough money. But, you know, which has kind of always been a joke about, you know, that line of work. But to me, it was always just kind of like, that just sounds exactly like what I want to do. So that doesn't really matter. I got into college and I... Did it on a college radio, and then I'm doing this now. Been doing this now for seven years, and sure, this isn't radio, but it's a similar concept, a similar format. And I believe that Greg Kozak is, if not one of the main reasons, the main reason why I'm doing this, because I just enjoyed listening to that and thinking, you know, I know a lot about this. I can talk about this myself. And the thing I loved about Kozak is that you would, you know, like any radio DJ would be out doing a live remote at some random business or before a concert. And a lot of times you'd see a DJ out there doing a remote before a concert and that's it. You wouldn't see him again. But if it was Kozak, you would see him in the show watching the concert like everybody else. And then a lot of times I would see him at shows in the 90s that he wasn't even there on behalf of work. He was just there because he enjoyed it. And it wouldn't just be a national band. It would be local and regional acts. And one of those pit bulls on crack, Steve Ray, the vocalist, has been on this podcast a few times. A Oklahoma music legend himself, and he posted about Kozak after he passed away and mentioned that he played pit bulls on crack on the radio in the 90s, which, if you think about it now, might not sound like a big deal because even if you're not familiar with Pitbulls on Crack Music, they're a kind of a thrash, hardcore punk crossover conglomeration type mixing of styles. But that's the type of thing that even if you heard it now in the middle of the day on the radio, like, well, that's not normal, but it would be a little more common now than it would be in 1993 or something. And Kozak did that. No one else was doing that, at least in this area of the country that I know of. And Shortly after that, they started the Homegrown show that, you know, David Satters did. And I think that that 
people like Kozak had a big part in doing that, and that helped push local and regional music. And he did that, you know, going up into the early 2000s. You know, Jason, who used to be on this podcast with me, was part of the band Zen Hipster. And I would see Kozak at their shows. I would, I was such a fan of radio and a fan of listening to people like him that it wasn't just, oh, I got to hear this guy to, you know, find out what this new song is or this new band or, you know, just, you know, like you did when you're a kid, you're anticipating a song you liked coming on that you didn't have on cassette yet or CD or whatever. But with Kozak, I anticipated hearing what he had to say about that band as well. And so I would always go to live remotes whenever I heard he was there. Um, you know, like Jason would go with me or I'd go with our, my friend Thrasher, whoever. And then any time I was out there, I'd always, you know, try to ask him a question or just talk to him because, you know, I'm a teenager and this guy is doing something that I would really love to do. I really looked up to that fact. And this went up until the probably, you know, well past I was a teenager in the early two thousands. And the first time I saw him after that, which would have been at the least fifteen years, a few years ago now, probably twenty eighteen. I don't remember exactly when, but he was at a show at the Ideal Ballroom, and I went up to him and asked him, "Would well, not ask him, talk to him?" and said, "Hey, you might not remember." He's like, "Oh yeah, I remember you. We used to, you know, talk a lot at." you know, out at shows and stuff like that. And I was just kind of taken aback that, you know, I was just some random kid or probably at the end of it, into my late early twenties that was bugging this guy. And he remembered me, which, you know, was really cool. And then to me to hear, and then shortly after that, you know, we had been, you know, we become friends on Facebook and all that. When he kind of reappeared, he sent me a message one time and said, Hey, I checked out Thunder Underground and I really like what you guys are doing. I'm really impressed with the interviews you guys have got. You know, keep up, keep this up. It's, you know, it's a great thing. And when anybody would say something like that to me, it, it means a hell of a lot that anybody, you know, would take the time to listen and then take the time to compliment it. But when it came from him, to me, that's like the highest compliment. I mean, you could have some artist that I've been a fan of since I was a kid, you know, like freaking Slash or someone walk up and say the same thing. And it would, it would mean a hell of a lot because it's Slash, but I'm saying it's at that same level to me. And I'm not trying to overstate this. I mean, like, cause that's what, you know, to me, he was the benchmark of that medium that I'm doing, you know, a small part of here on my own. So just to, you know, just for him to compliment this meant a hell of a lot to me. And to see him kind of come back into the the public eye there for a bit. You would see him out at shows. He would be out at the Ideal Ballroom. You know, for the past, you know, well, the Ideal Ballroom closed down about a year ago. But up until, you know, up until then, he would be out at shows there, you know, and around town. So... You know, really glad that, you know, he, he made his way back into the public eye because, you know, he was, a am assuming, a pretty private guy because I didn't know him on that level to know what, you know, he was up to all those years where, you know, we kind of didn't see him. But a, a random story I wanted to point out is 
something Jason mentioned on his social media post about Greg was that there was a time in the 90s, one of those mini remotes that I went to, me and Jason went to one at, I guess, Jason said it was Blockbuster. For some reason in my mind, it was like Media Play or something, but Blockbuster makes more sense. And he was doing a live remote, and in between, and in between speaking live on the radio, he would ask trivia questions and give out, you know, t-shirts, CDs, whatever, random, you know, stuff that radio stations give away. And he asked several questions in several questions in a row. Me and Jason, one or the other, was getting it right, and he was giving us whatever the prize was. And then finally, after a bit, he asked a question and said, not you, pointed at us, <laughs> tried to get someone else to answer. And then I think, I don't remember, at some point we answered again. And then he said, you know, I'm going to have to ask you guys to leave. <laughs> he was obviously joking, but he just told us to quit answering, give other people a chance. And then he asked a question and no one knew the answer. And there was some girl standing next to me. So I leaned over and told her the answer and he saw me do it. And he just kind of laughed and then gave her the the prize. And then there, I know there was a point a little bit later where he asked a question and nobody knew the answer. And then he turned and looked at us and one of us said it. So he gave us the prize, which I mean, talking about it, kind of saying it back isn't as funny as it was in the moment. But it's just kind of one of those memories that me and Jason always, you know, kind of brought up every once in a while throughout the years. And I always wanted to get him on here. Whenever, you know, I became friends with him on Facebook and I mentioned it, asked him if he wanted to, and he said, absolutely. And then I know around that same time, he ended up being a guest on the Tulsa music stream. You know, I travel a lot for work and we just kind of back and forth, never made it happen. And then a few months, a few months ago, I think it was probably towards the end of last year, I hit him up again and just said, hey, you know, kind of retouching base on this, seeing if you still want to do this, we could set up a time and he never, I don't know if he ever even viewed it or never responded to it. And, you know, kind of now in retrospect, it's obvious because he was going through what he was going through. So I'm just glad that he was on the Tulsa music stream. They did a great interview with him. And then he was actually on there other times where he was on as a co-host. And speaking of Tulsa music stream this Friday night, 6 PM central, for at least two hours, from 6 to 8 p.m., maybe longer if it goes over, they're going to dedicate this entire stream to Greg Kozak. And Scott and Jana are way better authorities to talk about this man than I am, I believe. And I know that they're going to have a wealth of people on there with them. They've got people that will be in their studio with them. They've got people that will be on Zoom with them. They've got people that will be on the phone with them. You know, I appreciate the fact even Scott reached out to me and asked me to come on. I'll actually be in Vegas working a show, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it happen, but I hope I can. If not, I'm definitely going to check that out. I hope you do hear it live. If you're Even if you're listening to this in, you know, freaking Canada, and you're not familiar with Greg Kozak, just listen to it. It's a great story. There will be lots of great people on there. I know Lynn Hernandez will be on. He's another extremely well-known DJ from the Oklahoma area. I'm sure that Nine will be on there from Dead Metal Society. He 
you know, is a friend of Kozak, and he made a great post on Facebook about him the other day as well. Kind of wrapping this up, that's just, to me, it's, it's a major loss, even though he wasn't currently on the air anymore. To me, it's like, that's the DJ of Tulsa rock radio, in my opinion, from now for eternity. And I know that there's other people, you know, it's always kind of an age thing, the same way it works with music, you know, what, what do you believe the best is, and it's usually what you were into. And I know that there's amazing DJs in this town, you know, from the 70s and 80s. But for me, Kozak was the epitome of all of it. And on top of that, you know, he was a, a great person, a great dude from everything that I knew about him and everything that people have said. So a huge shout out to him, his family, his fans, and his friends. Rest in peace, Mr. Kozak. All right, Trevor Sternad, the vocalist for the Black Dahlia Murder. In 2019, actually, at the end of 2018, the Black Dahlia Murder came to Tulsa. Jason and I had the opportunity to interview Trevor, and we put this episode out in early, the beginning of 2019. It was episode 209. But I'm not going to play back the entire episode. I'm just playing back the interview portion of that here coming up in a minute. But if if you're a fan of metal or just a fan of music in general and, you know, you're more than just a casual fan, I'm sure you've at least heard the name The Black Dahlia Murder. But if you're not into the heavier aspect of things and the more modern metal, you might not grasp, like, how important or how influential this band has become. They've just been around now for, I think, 2000, so about 22 years probably was their first album, and there's so many people out there that you see now with these more modern metal bands that came out in the past decade or so, talking about, they'll mention this band as an influence, and even uh, Gumby from Battlecross is a guy we've had on this podcast several times, and in one of our interviews he talked about Trevor being one of his main vocal influences. And I know that one thing people always talk about with Black Dahlia Murder is their lyrics. You know, Trevor was a great lyric writer. I know a lot of their stuff was conceptual at times. And I I, I remember one of the things that I remember, I haven't listened to this interview in quite a while, but one of the things I remember bringing up in the interview was their cover art for their albums. I always found amazing because it, Harken back to classic metal, like you think of that 80s, like heavy death metal stuff that like they always had these huge, you know, really, really quote unquote metal looking covers. And Black Dahlia Murder has really embraced that throughout the years. But most importantly about Tre- about Trevor is that this guy was always super positive and you always got a good vibe from him whenever you would see an interview or hear him talk or anything. Smiling, laughing, joking. A positive, you know, one of those positive forces in metal that you hear people talk about, one of the good guys. And, of course, when people pass away, sometimes things get embellished, but this is not that case. This guy was championed as that when he was alive, just as he's being championed about that now that he's passed away. And I appreciated the hell out of that, that when we interviewed him, he got that same sense. And you'll hear it in this interview, 
you know, several times us joking or laughing. And that's not a common, common thing. Even if, you know, when you're doing an interview, sometimes, I mean, if you can pull out a question that makes someone laugh, but a lot of these guys do interviews and them, that's just part of the work and they're serious about it as they should be. But some guys not saying Trevor wasn't serious, you know, he gave completely serious answers, but he's one of those people that you could tell just brings the positivity to everything he was doing. And I greatly appreciate that. So let's take a listen back to this interview with Trevor Stern out of the Black Dahlia murder from 2019. show was that outside yes damn yes and it was a very <laughs> similar temp to here it was like 38 when we played and uh yeah i've never played with full-on like winter gear on before <laughs> like how does that work i mean are you not sweating your ass off under there and then i well freezing at the same time kind of was yeah <laughs> after a while but i felt really bad for the guys especially because their fingers were you know freezing up. There's a lot of shit to do in the band. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Is that a first or throughout the years have you... Uh, we played a really cold like show in Finland one time outdoors, but but I did not expect to, that, to do that in Texas. That was right. wild. I'm surprised they didn't put it in the other... They have a Gas Monkey Live over there. Yeah, they had some other shit going oh, okay. on there, I guess. Yeah. I, I know sometimes they like deflect the show to over there. Right. And we were praying for that. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But dude, I guess they go all fucking year long. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I always wondered if there was an indoor stage since they do shows man, in the winter. That's, right? that's crazy. Masochistic, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, this uh, tour you guys are doing have a lot of support acts and you've got a great diverse lineup. Is that something you guys seek out or you guys have a hand in who you guys bring along? Uh, definitely this yeah. time we did. Um, these are all bands I really like and, um, you know, they're all just, it's regional. So, um, the flyer reads like the best festival you've ever seen in your life, right. but none of, you know, not at one time are all the bands together, but, um, yeah, it's been really cool, man. I think this is a good statement, a good way to end the year for us. Um, have a lot of bands that we hand selected, you know what I mean? It's a good look. Um, it's been a lot of fun, man. Power Trip was awesome, of course. Havoc is aboard now. They're awesome. Ghoul, Midnight's coming up in a few days. Devourment was yesterday. That was awesome. Uada in San Diego. Pig Destroyer in the uh, Pacific Northwest. That was cool. So, yeah, man, it's been, been really rad, to yeah. say the least. Yeah, you mentioned that about the when you see all the bands lined up together like a few days ago, he's like, holy shit, I don't know if Power Trip is going to be there. I'm like, no, they're... Yeah, Fine there's been some confusion. <laughs> you know, dude, making the ad mat was the hardest thing of all time. To, like, make it make sense yeah. in one look is not possible. Yeah, 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 it's just... So, yeah, there was a little bit of, of uh, backlash for some people that were like, what? <laughs> I thought they were... You know, like, yeah. oh, you didn't read the fine print below the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> right. <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you guys have been on a pretty consistent it looks like schedule of an album every two years is uh 
Is something going to be coming in 2019? Uh, yeah, it'll be pushed. We've already pushed it back okay. a little bit, yeah. but it'll still be out in, in 2019. Just things were going so well with Nightbringers that we tried to maximize the touring, you know what I mean? We uh, took it a little further, and I think we're a little more tired for it, you know what I mean? Like, it's been a very busy season, but, um, I mean, that's a good thing. It's a good problem to have. It's amazing to have that kind of demand for the band eight albums in, you know? It's, it's awesome. Definitely. Say pushed back in a sense. Have you guys done anything yet, like written? Um, no, but we've like blocked out time to write now and starting to like work out the um, details for the studio shit. But uh, uh, as far as I know, there's only a few little riffs here and there. But yeah, nothing so far. But I'm really excited to do it. I mean, having uh, Brandon come in the fold, especially, has been really exciting. You know, he's a really creative guy, and he really put his stamp on the last record a lot between writing uh, four songs for it and then, you know, just like his amazing solos and that whole melodic flair that he brought. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I think this is the best lineup we've had, and, you know, spirits are really high and coming off this album. And, yeah, I mean, I I really look forward to making some new shit, and it's about time. So, yeah, we'll roughly be home December to April with a few, you know, we have like the uh, 70,000 tons is in there, but for the most part, yeah, we'll be in the laboratory. So that'll be nice. Do you guys write individually and bring it together or do you guys do stuff? Yeah. Well, individually. Or? We used to do stuff together way back in the day. Cause that's like all we knew how to do. You know what I mean? Right. It was before pro tools and was like a prominent and every band had it, you know? Um, we would all sit around and try to write together, and then eventually I would record a song to a boombox, and you know we could barely play the song, and then I would write lyrics to that. And nowadays, um, either guitar player will, will write something privately, and by the time we hear it, it'll be it'll have both guitars, bass, decent sounding program drums. You know, it's a way way higher quality starting point than than in the early days of the band. So. It's cool. I think it results in a more professional thing overall, you know. And I think if that just stems from the guys, you know, just being able to sit alone with their thoughts and, you know, really develop something to its, uh, you know, t- till it's fully realized, I guess. Underwear time. I imagine them in their underwear writing the shit. That's what I do when I write the lyrics. It's well, underwear time. You gotta be comfortable. Yeah, dude, you gotta let it hang out. That's right. Well, speaking of eight albums in, your guys' album covers, I think, are, have always been, you know, it's like this classic metal look, you know. Is that, have you guys used the same artists throughout the years? Or do you, um, no, it man, it's, um, it's been different almost every time. Um, Nightbringers, the, the newest one, we actually went back to uh, Christian Whalen, who did our um, Nocturnal album. So in a way, it was kind of like they was ten years later too since Nocturnal. So it's a little bit of a throwback to that, and um, you know I think that was really the um, that's the fan favorite album. You know what I mean? So a little bit of a no- um, nod towards that. You know I think was uh, it worked to excite the fans for sure mm-hmm. about the album. And um, since we use a different artist every time, you know, going back to someone was kind of a wild card move. I don't think the fans were expecting, but. I'm always the guy in charge of the artwork. I, I really love doing that for the band. I love that we have a budget to do whatever we want now. 
Whereas in the early days, you know, like the first two album covers we have are shot, you know, but, but we didn't have the money to do what yeah. we wanted. You know yeah. what I mean? We didn't have the, the money to get painted art, you know, like some of that classic metal look. And I'm all about, I'm sure you've noticed the evil place. You know what I mean? Like that's, there's nothing more classically death metal than the evil place. You don't want to go, you know what I mean? The grave world or whatever, or, you know, I love that shit for sure. Or you know, into art or how do you go about finding um, I, I pay attention to, I really love the, the art side of extreme metal. And I'm always watching artists and always coming through artists, not only for the album covers, but for the shirts and stuff like that. And just, I really like that aspect of it. So I stay up on it. And, um, yeah, like having the budget to do what we want is awesome and it's really freeing. And I, I get a kick out of, um, that aspect of things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, yeah. I still, I'm still like, I don't know. I love the connection between a good album and good artwork and the way that kind of synergy works. You know what I mean? Like it takes it to another level, you know? And I think that, um, as the physical copy kind of moves towards extinction, you know what I mean? Let people, um, I don't think they make that same connection as much. You know, they, they, uh, well, you know, we had to like go buy a record and, and then you were like, well, I blew my money on this record. I got to f- make myself like it. You know what I mean? If you didn't already, you know what I mean? So just a different world than having everything at your disposal just to like throw away. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I just really like that attachment. I like the, um, like I said, there's a kind of synergy when you get a new album and it has great artwork and sounds great and everything kind of comes together in that whole package, you know? So I, you know, so that's something I take really seriously. I really enjoy doing that aspect of things. Um, yeah, it's fun, fun for me. Because you know, when you hear when you hear those songs, you might see those colors on the album. Kind of, yeah. That's kind of what I hope for. Just like there's weird associations like that you in a way, make. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and um, so I try to think about how powerful that is, and you know, I try to uh, do the best I can for the band and make it look cool and. But also to represent what I like about death metal, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I see us bringing in a lot of young kids into the extreme world, which is an awesome thing. So I try to represent death metal as I've liked it, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. since I was a 13-year-old kid. And that artwork and those themes are definitely a part of it. As as um, cliche as the themes might be, it's still... My shit. I love it. (laughs) Zombies and werewolves and the macabre and, you know, like, lyrically, most of what we do is is retreading very classic horror themes, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I like to put my own spin on them lyrically, but I think it's important to have classics, you know what I mean? It's important to have stuff steeped in classics, you know, we have... We're like a melting pot of Black Death and Thrash, I would say. You know what I mean? The band. And, um, it's all, it's all, it's nothing new. You know what I mean? It's all classic elements put together. You know, I didn't, we never said we were an original band, just tenacious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know, after all, all these years, and, you know, I could even, Say you know, like you said, um, it was cold in Dallas yesterday. How do you keep your voice, uh, you know, in shape and and you know, not 
killing yourself every night. Well, yesterday took a toll on me. Yeah. Uh, a unique <laughs> toll because it was very cold and I'm just ripping all this cold air up there. And cold is the enemy of of extreme vocals. You, you know, no cold water on stage, you know, fucking hot water as much as you can stand, tea, stuff like that. So just huffing a bunch of cold air was, was brutal. But for the most part... um I don't know. I don't really think about it that that much. There was times where I was kind of obsessing about it, you know, about my voice and taking care of it and doing all these rituals and stuff. And then there would be times where it's like, oh, shit, I don't have a teapot. You know, I'm in the third world. I can't get my teapot. and I'm freaking out. You know, it's like (laughs) stupid as fuck. You know what I mean? So it's like I just got to let it go. Relax. Not worry about it too much. Really. I'm like a kind of an anxious person, so the best thing you can do is sleep. You know, if you're going to worry about it to the point that you can't sleep, you'll fuck, your, fuck yourself up. Because yeah. that's like the best healing you can do is getting some rest. But now we're at that point where, you know, we're nearing the end of the tour. We played a bunch of shows. I got trashed a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, my voice is not my not the best right now, but <laughs> we'll be all right. <laughs> Speaking of your voice, we've had uh, Kyle Gumby from Battlecross on our podcast several times. Right on. And he mentioned on one of them, you were his biggest vocal inspiration as far as extreme vocals go. And so being in this business for so long, like, what's that like having artists come up that you're now an influence on when you look back as a kid thinking of all the people that influenced you? It's cool. It's the most flattering thing there is, man. Um, I mean, we've been out playing for so long now that um, a few generations of bands have come along, I f- feel like, you know what I mean? And talk to kids well, often that look at me like an, I'm an old wizard, you know what I mean? <laughs> I guess I am by comparison to some of them. But, um, yeah, that's so flattering, you know what I mean? Um, I still... The players that I look up to, the people that influence me, like, I'm still such a fanboy, you know? I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of people that influenced the band and stuff like that, but I still can't straight face it, man. I'm such a, like, fanboy above all, and, you know, I think our band at at heart are metal fans first, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's what people see, is just the the passion of the band, you know, we're not the coolest looking dudes in the world or anything like that, you know what I mean? (laughs) I think people, that also kind of just made us stand out, you know, uh, when I had short hair and serial killer glasses and, you know, we just didn't fit into anywhere. It didn't feel like, and, uh, I think that ended up being why we're still around is, uh, our ability to appeal to so many walks of the underground. And, you know, we have, when I look out in the crowd, we have all kinds of fans from, you know, the the elite long hair, leather clad dudes all the way on down. You know what I mean? And I'm glad to see them all, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, you alluded to kind of the change in times as far as the way albums are consumed. Like when you guys started, that was kind of the when the transition was happening. I think, right, early two thousands. Like on the business side of things, how do you feel it is now? Are things shifting back in a decent way? I I think that everything is just adjusting. I think that everybody, every band is just adjusting. I don't think that anyone's going to make money off of um, the sale of a record anymore. Basically, I think that. You have to go out and tour to to reap the rewards. Now you have to go out and tour to to make the money that 
that you're supposed to be making, you know, by doing, I think it's all about, it's all about selling tickets, all about selling merch, you know, when you're getting, um, a microscopic amount per stream, you know, it's like, uh, yesterday, you know, those things came out where every band is posting, um, what they streamed yeah. on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, it's the most bittersweet thing ever. Cause it's like, all these people love us. 15 million. Is that what it said? But they, but if only a tenth of them bought the record, we could literally be the biggest metal band (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Like, come on, guys. (laughs) So it's really, it's bittersweet, you know, and everyone's like, congratulations, congratulations. You didn't make any money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it, it is cool to still see. The bar and see where we are compared to other bands, and you know we're sizing our dicks up to everyone else's dick. You know what I mean? But it's bittersweet. You know what I mean? It's a it's a interesting time for sure. Well, cassettes are coming back, so yeah, yeah, cassettes are back. Uh, I like you know when CDs come back, dude. That's gonna be weird. Like I'm, I still buy CDs, you know, but now I think they're like the most archaic thing to people. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and tapes are just retro enough to be cool. Vinyl too, I think. We'll see if CDs ever have that same. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get I get a kick out of getting cassettes, but then I'm like a CD. Now nah, I'm good, you know. And then I'm like, that's really stupid. <laughs> I think about it. Yeah, see, man, I'll do I'll do any <laughs> any physical manifestation pretty much. But CD CD is where my heart is. I have four thousand metal CDs, something like that. Um, yeah. It's my vice, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I've still got a couple thousand in boxes. I just don't have them displayed like I used to. Never yeah, see, that's the thing, man. I fucking buy them now, rip them, and then they just go in the that's museum, sick. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I totally get people moving toward this more convenient thing. I, t- I mean, I totally get the appeal of any song you can think of, almost. You can summon it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I totally get it. But, um, I just, an old fart stuck in my collector way, I guess. Yeah. And I really like the, you know, having physical copies and the collection aspect of it. You know what I mean? was fun because it started as a hunt. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that you had was like, you were lucky to have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. And I mean, I love the internet era. It's empowered me to find out so much more about metal than I could have ever dreamed, you know? And, um, but, um, and especially as record stores were going the way of the dinosaur around me in Michigan, you know, where I was living at the time, um, there was just nothing for me there. I was so deep into this thing. I'm like, well, they're not going to have weird Indonesian brutal death metal, you know, at this <laughs> yeah. fucking record store. And so I, I was forced to go buy stuff online. You know what I mean? But, um, but then you start paying 10 bucks a pop instead of 15 and then all of a sudden it becomes pretty cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, 4,000 CDs, whenever you say when you were 13 or 14, did you ever buy anything based off of song titles? Oh, for sure. <laughs> song titles? <laughs> or album covers? Album covers, absolutely. Yeah. Album covers. Logo, yeah. um, thank you lists. You know, you'd have one CD and you'd like, I would write down any cool sounding band name in the thank you list. Or I would look, you'd look in the liner notes at the shirts they were wearing. Yeah. I remember like before I could find Cryptic Slaughter or heard it, like I saw um, one of Cannibal wearing it in the Bleeding album, and I, I thought by the name that it was going to be like some insane death metal shit. You know what I, mean? I still love it, but I thought like, <laughs> whoa, man, that is a tough ass name. Gotta <laughs> find this. But um, yeah, that was the hunt, man. It was awesome. And the very first few times I got to use the internet 
first thing I did was like look up the lyrics of Tomb of the Mutilated. You know what I mean? Like it was like, and I remember typing a fucking, you know, like a, an address the first time and being like, "What the fuck is this yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah. How the fuck is anyone gonna remember this? Exactly. This isn't gonna catch on." Right. <laughs> exactly. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. Well, nearing the end of the year here, are there any albums? Your favorite albums of 2018 from other artists? Um, yeah, I got a few. Uh, kicked my ass this year. Uh, <coughs> the new Serex album, uh, Phobos Demos, is probably my favorite thing I heard this year. It's um, sort of like an updated Cryptopsy, I guess I would say. It's really groovy and um, creative and... It's got some alien kind of aspects to it that are really cool. Um, Zealotry is another fine album this year. Uh, that just came out. Um, the new Mass Infection is awesome. Uh, Michael Romeo's solo album. I think maybe that's my favorite metal album of the year. It's awesome. That's the uh, Symphony X guitar player for people that aren't uh, initiated. And it's a lot like the last few uh, Symphony X records, but with a different singer who is, I think, just as good as Russell Allen, but different kind of voice. But uh, love that album. I highly recommend anyone checking that shit out. High energy. You know, it's power metal, I guess. Progressive. But it's it's thrashy. It's, you know, it's not wimpy. Yeah. Right on, man. We appreciate your time. Hey, no worries, man. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, 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 boys. Yeah. There you go, Trevor of the Black Dahlia Murder. A huge thank you to, this isn't, you know, an old school thank you because this actually, like I said, happened now a little over three years ago. But Liz from Earsplit PR. And since this is the anniversary week of this episode, of this podcast, you know, one of the things I always always like to bring up is some of those publicists who have been with us throughout the years because you know a lot of times we do an interview and it might be a publicist we've never worked with you know that we've done one or two things with throughout the years but there's a handful of them that have really you know always responded and always helped us get some really cool interviews and ear split pr liz from ear split pr is one of those handful of people that you know have been a great supporter and help to this podcast so a huge thank you to liz for not only this episode from 2019 with Trevor, but many other episodes throughout the years, and I'm sure many episodes to come in the future. But I'll talk more about a couple of other of those, you know, whenever I do a kind of a retrospect thing here coming up soon. But if this is your first time listening, if you found this because you're a fan of Trevor and the Black Dahlia Murder, you know, there's 346 episodes before this, and there's been some heavy stuff throughout the years we've had on, you know, guys from Battlecross, Insight, Toxic Holocaust, Death Angel, Megadeth, Testament, Prong, Crowbar, Superjoint, I Hate God, Enterprise Earth. I'm trying to think of the super heavy stuff. I know there's probably some glaring stuff I missed, but I've also had on guys from COC, White Zombie, Typo Negative, Helmet. Some more classic rock and hard rock stuff like Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Kiss. Um, Deep Purple, 
Motley Crue, Billy Idol. Billy Idol wasn't on here, but I've had on we've had on a couple of his band members in the past. Tesla, a couple members of that have been on here multiple times. Mark Slaughter, all kinds of all kinds of stuff throughout the years. TheThunderUnderground.com, wherever you're listening to this right now, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can listen directly on the website as well. You can also find all our socials there. So follow us on all of them. Like, share, retweet. We I can't even speak. Retweet, repost, comment. All that stuff's quick and easy, and it greatly helps us out. So yeah, I've got some stuff coming up, but I don't mention stuff until it happens. So be on the lookout for announcements soon on coming episodes as we head into our eighth year of this podcast. That's crazy to say, right? Nearing episode 350 soon. Who knows what that will be? We'll find out soon enough. But all right, wrapping this up, a huge thank you as always to our sponsors, DEB Concerts, Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. And once again, a huge rest in peace and shout out to Trevor Stern out of the Black Dahlia Murder and Greg Kozak. And until next time. He's like gone to some Victor Wooten camps and shit like that. <laughs> oh, has he really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Serious. Serious about the space game. Yeah. That, yeah that was- <laughs> Thunder Underground, y'all.